Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing, but where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the podcast. What's up? Uh, Today is the Tuesday edition of the podcast. And I don't have any guests tonight. It's just me, so uh, sorry about that for those of you who uh, like tuning into the show because of my uh, guest interviews. You're going to be stuck with me for the evening. However, I think it's going to be a good show. I, uh, I'm discussing the Oscars and uh, just entertainment in general on tonight's show. I didn't watch the Oscars. And I'll explain why on the show. And then I'm also talking about censorship in uh, technology with Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Google. I've discussed that over the past couple weeks on the show, but there's more developing. I'll have more. uh, I will have a guest on Thursday for the podcast, hopefully. And then Saturday, I'm hoping to have another guest as well. Alrighty, folks, uh, what else can I tell you before we start the show? As always, go to AmericanWatchman.org. That's the editorial magazine I help uh, run over there. Great guys over there, Adam, Josh, Gabe, and uh, Katie. Well, she's not a guy, but she's awesome nonetheless. And we don't have any sponsors yet, but um, hopefully that will change here as the podcast uh, gets more popular. Anyway, I'm super excited for you guys to listen to the show, so without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield. 
Broadcasting live from NGC Studios here in uh, South Florida. And uh, we're over at AmericanWatchmen.org as well. Uh, I'm just removing my other earbuds um, for the show, so hold on a sec. Um, I know I should have done... Uh, that before I began the program, but, uh, whatever. I just didn't want to get, uh, the two sets of earbuds, uh, tangled. Um, but anyway, the earbuds are removed now, so without further ado, let's begin the show. As I said, I'm Sam Whitfield, your esteemed host, and this is the Whitfield Report, uh, the Tuesday edition. And, uh, yeah, this is our Tuesday edition. I usually record the Tuesday edition earlier in the day. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes I like to record the shows at night too. So that's how that goes. Uh, you can go to thesamwhitfield.com for all your needs. You can also visit American Watchmen. Dot org, and you can uh, visit my Twitter handle over there at, at SamW underscore NGC, hashtag Whitfield Report. And um, that's how you can follow the show. And if you're watching on our Facebook page, live or on demand, welcome, welcome. And if you're watching this on the YouTube archive, thank you for... Uh, watching as well, and if you're listening to the audio version of this on iTunes or on Anchor.com, thank you for subscribing to the podcast, and please uh, subscribe and write and leave a review. That's probably the, the best thing you can do, folks, is subscribe to the audio podcast and... Um, We'll leave a review there and uh, like the Facebook page and share this video and others with your friends. All right, folks, so we have a lot of topics to uh, cover tonight. I was supposed to have a guest um, for tonight's show, and I was actually supposed to have a guest for uh, Saturday's show as well, but... Uh, Neither have showed, so, um, I've, I've had to prepare a, uh, a solo show, as it were, so it's just me tonight. But I want to cover, uh, two topics that have been pretty significant, um, in America for the last few days. The first thing I want to cover are the Oscars. Now, I did not watch the Oscars this year, as I know that many uh, of my listeners and viewers, uh, I know many of you guys did not watch the Oscars. And if you did, uh, that's fine. And, uh, you know, more power to you. But I actually decided to, uh, wa- to watch, um, an actual movie. In, instead, well, in reality, I actually uh, binged watched uh, Frasier again, as I am wanting to do on Sunday nights. But the overall point, I didn't watch the Oscars um, the other night, and a lot of people I know did not watch the Oscars either. The main reason being, the Oscars, more and more, ladies and gentlemen, they they seem to be veering more and more. Uh, into the political realm of things. Uh, no matter how hard we try and, uh, get away from politics in the Oscars, there's just simply no way that we can, um, seem to get out from underneath the Oscars. Hi, Zach. The, uh, the show just started. So thanks for joining us on the Facebook live stream. Uh, feel free to comment and chime in. Uh, folks, real quick, I have to interject before I get back to the monologue. 
one of the benefits of um, the Facebook live stream is you can comment on the video in real time, and uh, the software I have allows me to read those um, out loud. So if you have comments, um, feel free to chime in. Um, so I did not, so as I was, uh, saying before, I did not watch the Oscars. Um, the other night I watched Frasier instead, and, uh, from what I saw yesterday from the highlight, uh, reels and whatnot, it appears I didn't miss much. Um, the Oscars have become so politicized. Um, as have all the rewards show, but folks, one thing that I've really noticed is, uh, mostly the award shows, like the Grammys and the Emmys, they went, uh, political a long, long time ago. Whereas the Oscars, I don't know, they, they seem to have gone political five years ago. Six years ago, in my estimation, uh, I mean, Hollywood has always had a left-wing slant, but the Oscars, for the most part, when I was growing up, uh, seemed to be fairly neutral up until uh, fairly recently. And I have some theories as to why that is. Um... But long story short, I, I didn't miss much, um, the other night. I guess, uh, Shape of Water won Best Picture, which is about a deaf woman who, uh, falls in love with, like, a fish man, and I guess, uh, they end up, uh, I know, spoil, spoiler for a movie I haven't even seen, um, a friend of mine went and saw, and he, he said that basically the premise is there's a deaf woman, she falls in love with a fish man, and with the help of like a transgendered individual and uh, the token black guy in the movie, uh, she basically ends up sleeping with uh, the fish man. Okay, uh... Maybe there's a little more to to that plot, but from what I've gathered, that seems to be the uh, that seems to be the basis of everything. And if that movie won Best Picture, um, well, then they're not making too many uh, good films. I remember last year I did see uh, oh Moonlight, which won Best Picture last year, and. Uh, I watched Moonlight in a film class I took, and I, I will say this, other than the, uh, other than the fact that it was a blatant, uh, LGBT propaganda piece, I thought that Moonlight was okay, but it wasn't like a, a great film, it wasn't a wow film. Um, and I, I know that many other commentators, uh, not just on the right, but who are relatively polit politically neutral, they've all said that the, uh, Oscars have been, uh, pretty, in terms of the films, they've been pretty, um, underwhelming for the past few years. Pe people just don't watch... Uh, Oscar-nominated films as much as they used to. Now, I'm a film buff. Um, I love cinema, but I haven't watched these films. Um, I, I'm i someone who's more likely to watch um, kind of like one of these deep uh, artsy films, quote-unquote, but some of the premises of these, like I said, with uh, the shape of water have just become so ridiculous and far-fetched that even I can't suspend my disbelief long enough to watch them. Uh, there, 
There's also, uh, I guess there was also, uh, oh, I can't remember the, the name of the film. Uh, oh, I want to, I can't, I can't remember, but it was something about, um, here, let me look, let me look these up, actually, folks. Why am I stumbling around? We have the, uh, we have the ability to actually look at this at the uh screen here here ladies and gentlemen so all right let me look at the uh nominees real quick i'm doing show prep live on air okay 2018 oscar winners okay uh oh okay Shape of Water won Best Picture. We got that. Uh, Darkest Hour. Uh, I know that Gary Oldman won, won that one. Ooh, do I really want to go to the New York Times for this one? Uh, okay. Okay. Well, uh, I'm gonna have to go to Vulture. Um, okay. Oh, Call Me By Your Name. That was the one I was thinking of. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, ladies and gentlemen. I, I guess from what I've, uh, read, that one, uh, won best screenplay. And yet that, that's the one about the, uh, an older man who, he falls in love with like a 17 year old, kid and they end up having like a homosexual relationship okay i know that the left is uh you know pretty far out there these days in hollywood but even so ladies and gentlemen i i do have to wonder um at a time when the kevin spacey scandal just broke is it really a good idea that we nominate a film which basically promotes pedophilia um i don't think so so i'll link the uh oscar nominees up on the uh website post that i do about the show and as always you can find the show notes at the sam whitfield.com after the show So we already covered that the uh, Oscar nominees themselves were pretty underwhelming. Um, which, that's, you know, that's a reason in and of itself to be, um, that's a reason in, a, in and of itself to kind of avoid these things. But... The main point I want to focus on uh, is Jimmy Kimmel's Oscar monologue because it was a it was atrocious. Uh, real quick, Zach is uh, commenting. He says a few years ago, several Academy members admitted to voting for Twelve Years a Slave without seeing it because it was politically correct to do so. From then on, I knew for sure that these awards are useless. They have nothing to do with the quality of work. Exactly, folk. Exactly, Zach. A lot of these um, films that have come out in the past five years or so uh, just seem to be mainly uh, political pandering and uh, virtue signaling from the left. And uh, have Zach, have you or anyone else you know actually seen The Shape of Water, or uh, Call Me By Your Name. I hadn't even heard of some of these films. And, um... Well, I heard of Call Me By Your Name, but I, I hadn't heard of... Um... I hadn't heard of, um... The Shape of Water until December. And, uh, Darkest Hour I did hear about, but those were pretty much the only ones I had he heard about. Um... So really, they're not even nominating uh, any 
any really popular films or any blockbuster hits like they did back in the 90s, which uh, I have a clip on that here in a bit. Okay, yeah, no. So Zach says no. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. So as I was saying, the films are pretty underwhelming themselves, but the main reason why I think it was a good idea to skip the awards from I saw last night uh, was Jimmy Kimmel. And Jimmy Kimmel is probably the biggest uh, name in terms of Hollywood uh, talk show hosts, late night talk show hosts right now, right? Jimmy Kimmel right now is adored by the left because he is saying all the right things. You know, he made a big deal a few months ago when he when he cried on his own show because he said that Trump wants to kill millions of Americans uh, by taking away Obamacare. And he got a big response from that. And then he said something else in regards to uh, the recent shooting in Florida, saying that gun people are crazy. He also said recently that to be a talk, that in order to be a popular talk show host, in order to be a successful talk show host, you need to be liberal. Now, the one thing I've always said about uh, Jimmy Kimmel is, I know that he's a liberal, but I'm surprised at how far to the left he's gone in the past year or year, year and a half. Because if you remember, remember folks, and if you're into comedy or any, or into, uh, you know, television, some of you guys will remember this, but Jimmy Kimmel, uh, used to be best friends with Adam Carolla, who Adam Carolla has, Adam's not necessarily a, con, a conservative, but he leans, uh, more libertarian to the right. Adam Carolla, as many of you guys know, is uh, friends with Dennis Prager and Hugh Hewitt, and uh, they've all done college speaking tours together. So, you know, with that in mind, I, I do have to wonder um, why Jimmy Kimmel is so far to the left. But anyway, he was the one who was chosen to host the Oscars this year. And he starts off his monologue by basically saying that they're going to keep the Oscars uh, politically neutral this year, that this isn't about politics. And then within the first three minutes, he makes a, uh, a joke basically trying to slam on Trump and all of conservatism. I have the clip right here. Uh, hopefully YouTube and Facebook don't take this uh, screen off since I'm com commentating over it, uh, but here we go. Welcome, and most importantly, congratulations. Congratulations to everyone who's nominated tonight. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. I'm excited. I've never been to the Oscars before. This is my first time here, and the way you people go through hosts is probably my last time here, so... <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this while I'm here. This broadcast is being watched live by millions of Americans and around the world in more than 225 countries that now hate us. And I think that is... Okay, immediately, not even 30 seconds in, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Kimmel makes the remark that we're, uh, that this is being watched by 220 countries that now hate us. Okay, why? Because Trump is president? That's the immediate in insinuation, of course. Uh, if Now, if we're going along with uh, Jimmy Kimmel's logic that we're being watched in countries that hate us, well, a lot of, of the countries that actually do hate us they didn't like us that much uh, when Obama was in power either, right? 
But the left always gets this uh, idea that if there's a Democrat in power or or if there's a liberal president in power, that all of these countries, quote-unquote, like us. But if it's a Republican president, they hate us. We saw this uh, when when Bush was in office, and we see this now with Trump being in office. But keep in mind, that was just 30 seconds into that, and we're already slamming on Trump and the United States of America in general, I might add. An amazing thing. As you know, I don't have to tell anybody, this country is divided right now. I've been getting a lot of advice. People have been telling me it's time to bring everyone together. You need to say something to unite us. And let's just get something straight off the top. I'm not, I can't do that. That's not, there's only one brave heart in this room, and he's not going to unite us either. Okay? No, you look great. I think the Scientology is working. I really do. I'm not the man to unite this country, but it, it can be done. We, you know, if every person watching the show, I don't want to get too serious, but there are millions and millions of people watching right now, and if every one of you took a minute to reach out to one person you disagree with, someone you like, and have a positive, considerate conversation, not as liberals or conservatives, as Americans, if we would all do that, we could make America great again. We really could. It starts with us. Okay, the irony of this is that just a few weeks ago, he pretty much plainly said that in order to be a successful talk show host, uh, that that quote, you need to be a liberal, essentially. Uh, he also said that Trump wanted to kill Americans because he was taking... Uh, Obamacare away from people. So, yeah. So this is one of the reasons why people aren't buying into Jimmy Kimmel's shtick anymore. He doesn't mean what he says. At all. We're only a minute and 35 minutes into this. I'm, I, and I'm not going to play this whole uh, monologue because it's pretty painful to sit through and uh, aside from that, I really don't want to uh, get my stream taken down uh, or whatever on some BS uh, copyright claim, um, which is why I'm commenting over this clip, YouTube. Uh, if you guys are watching, I am not infringing on any copyrights. This is fair use. Uh, I know the folks watching at home know this, but I've just got to put it in there for my YouTube and Facebook overlords. So, anyway, uh, continuing on. And tonight, in the spirit of healing and bringing people together, I would like to bury the hatchet with someone I've had issues with. <laughs> I would. Matt Damon. Now, Matt, I've known Matt for a long time now. You know what? I've known Matt so long. When I first met Matt, I was the fat one. Okay? <laughs> True. And we've had problems. He's a selfish person. Those of you who've worked with him know this. But Matt did something very unselfish, and I want to commend him for it. I, for real. Matt, as you probably know, could have starred in Manchester by the Sea. He was the producer. It's nominated for six Oscars, including lead actor. And he could have taken that lead actor part for himself, but he didn't. He gave that role to Casey Affleck, his childhood friend. He handed what turned out to be an Oscar-caliber role over to his friend and made a Chinese ponytail movie instead. <laughs> and... <laughs> and that movie, The Great Wall, went on to lose $80 million. <laughs> Smooth move, dumbass. So yes, I know it's comedy, I know it's uh, satire and whatnot, but Kimmel essentially right there undermines his main point. Um, and, you know, he, he is, he is basically a admitting, you know, uh, stuff about 
he's basically admitting that he himself is is biased, and you know, rather than uh, you know trying to come together, he's insulting that Damon. Kind of funny, but you know, also he's kind of undermining his own narrative there at a deep level. It's so easy to reach out and heal. We, and I want to say, I, maybe this is not a popular thing to say, but I want to say thank you to President Trump. I mean, remember last year when it seemed like the Oscars were racist? That's gone. Thanks to him. What in a, it has been an amazing year for movies. Black people saved NASA and white people saved jazz. That's what you call progress. Okay, and it just keeps going on and on like this throughout the evening, uh, from what I heard from people who actually did watch this. Why am I, why did I just show that? Why did I spend three minutes looking at that clip? Well, it's, it's just to prove a point, ladies and gentlemen, right? Kimmel starts off the evening trying to say that, you know, he wants to bring people together and, you know, that he wants to start a conversation, um, you know, the Americans, that we should have conversations, deep conversations with people who we disagree with. And then, simultaneously, he, he throws that out the window and kind of says, yeah, you guys should do that, but us, nah, we're not, we're not going to, to do that. And it just continues the narrative that, uh, conservatives, that's basically their whole, whole message. Conservatives need to, you know, sit down and they need to listen and they need to acquiesce. But, you know, we as liberal elites, nah, you should, uh, Join us and you should laugh at our jokes. And if you don't laugh at our jokes, well, you're just stubborn, uh, you know, rednecks in flyover country. That's how that goes. So, Jimmy Kimmel hosting the Oscars, what else did you expect? Uh, Ben Shapiro from The Daily Wire on his um, podcast on Monday he had an excellent segment in which he explained why the Oscars are so unpopular. Kind of uh, saying the same thing that I said in the opening of the program. But I, I want to play this for you because I, I think it's spot on and he really brings up some uh, issues here with the Oscars and uh, how they've been uh, seen the last few years. Clip number two, go. One of the reasons that you can see that Hollywood has shifted its view of itself is the change in, in the demographic of the people who actually watch Oscar films. So it used to be that Oscar films between 1983 and 2000, 2003, really, virtually every Oscar film was a major winner in terms of the box office. Virtually every Oscar film did really well at the box office, at least the, 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 um, the films that won Best Picture. Right? And so I'm going to look up the list right now, and I will tell you, there has not been an actual good movie that has won Best Picture at the Oscars, like a, a great movie that's won Best Picture at the Oscars, in my opinion, since 2010, and there hasn't been a box office winner at the Oscars for nearly 15 years. For nearly 15 years. It's really an amazing, amazing thing. Right? I mean, let's, let's look back at the, at the Best Picture winners. So, 2016... The best winner picture, the best picture winner was Moonlight, which made like five bucks at the box office. Before that, it was Spotlight. Fine movie, completely forgettable. You know, I, again, I enjoyed Spotlight. I think Moonlight is a fine film. It was obviously the social justice winner because it was about gay black people in the inner city. Whatever, that's fine, but that's not exactly designed to be a box office busting winner. Okay, Spotlight won the, won the year before that. The year before that, it was Birdman, which I thought was just an execrable film. I just thought it was an awful, awful movie. 12 Years a Slave, which I think is a, a very good movie, but not obviously one that's going to bust down the box office doors. Right? It's, it's about slavery. It is not a highly entertaining film. I, I think it's a, a well-made film. I don't think it's as well-made as, for example, Schindler's List. But 12 Years a Slave is a good movie. But is it like an all-time classic movie? Probably not. Argo, which is completely forgettable now. Do you even remember Argo? 
I remember when it won. Like, I saw it. It's fine. It's fun. But it's not like it's an Argo is not an important movie. The artist. He brought up Argo. Uh, he brought up Argo, Argo there for a sec. And uh, I will point out that I thought Argo was pretty good when I when I saw it. But again, it was uh, pretty forgettable. And uh, it just didn't really do all that well at the box office commercially. Right? N- none of these movies made more than $5 at the box office. The King's Speech was the last really great movie that I think was was a, a big winner at the Oscars. The Hurt Locker was the year before that. Slumdog Millionaire, which did decently at the box office, but won over, like, The Dark Knight. Are you kidding me? Okay, are you kidding me? It, it hasn't even... Th- that was 2008. Okay, it's been 10 years. Has, does anyone even watch Slumdog Millionaire now? It's a fine film. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's not The Dark Knight. Okay, No Country for Old Men is 2007. That was the last big box office winner that actually did really, really well uh, at the Oscars. was No Country for Old Men. So that was 2007. And before that was The Departed, which, meh. Okay, Crash, the worst movie of all time. Okay, Million Dollar Baby. Again, okay, but sorry, movies about euthanasia don't exactly blow it up at the box office. And then you get, but by, but by 2003, I think it was really in the Bush era that this happened. 2003, by the middle of the Bush era, you can see the shift for Hollywood. The shift goes from, we are here to make movies that entertain you, to we are here to make movies that are specifically designed to say something, say something important. Because before 2003, all of the movies that were winning were big box office winners. The reason this is important is the people in Hollywood, the people who vote at the Academy Awards, see their role differently. They see their role in life, seriously, as we are here in order to, in, in order not to make big movies that make lots of money and, and earn us all enormous paychecks. That's something nice that we do. But what we're really here to do is push the message. And you can see that from the Oscar winners, because before that, it was Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. It was Gladiator. It was Shakespeare in Love, which did really well. It was Titanic. It was Braveheart. It was Forrest Gump. It was Schindler's List and Unforgiven. It was Silence of the Lambs. It was Dances with Wolves. Right. Every other year, it was a top five to top ten box office movie that was winning. And we haven't had one of those in like 15 years. Okay, there's a reason for that, and it's because Hollywood does have messages it wants to promote. So we're going to talk about some of the messages that they wanted to promote at the Oscars last night. One of the reasons that you can see that Hollywood has shifted its view of itself is the change in in the... Okay, uh, sorry there. I had to unmute my mic. Uh, basically, everything that Shapiro said in that clip there is spot on. The, the Oscars, bottom line, folks, have just not been good for the past uh, 10 years, roughly 15. And it's getting even worse with all the political virtue signaling that they've been doing and that's basically all all they've been doing uh at the oscars for the past 10 years so bottom line uh folks i didn't miss anything you didn't miss anything if you skipped the oscars entirely all right we've got that out of the way now on to uh more serious subjects and uh I was going to I I was going to talk talk about this uh more on last Saturday but uh the guest I had or was supposed to have lined up uh never really he never got back to me uh so I've been trying to reschedule the interview with him but folks uh lately there's been um, a big deal made about censorship on social media platforms, uh, such as Facebook and Twitter and more specifically YouTube. Uh, YouTube has been really egregious about censoring, uh, conservative viewpoints on their platform and to the point now where uh, federal and senatorial hearings 
have been held on the matter of uh, Twitter and Facebook and Google censoring. Now, I have an article here from the Daily Caller.com. Uh, and so you may remember a few years ago, a few months ago, uh, Twitter got in trouble for censoring uh, pro-life groups, and it really seems like they haven't uh, they haven't stopped doing this, ladies and gentlemen. I have an article here from the Daily Caller. Headline: Twitter keeps censoring pro-lifers. Conservative writer Devin uh, Senna tweeted a picture Saturday of a healthy unborn baby with this caption. This is human. He added the hashtag trigger a liberal in four, wor- in four words. Twitter chose to suppress the factually accurate tweet as quote-unquote sensitive material and warned certain users before they saw it. Upon re- quote, upon review, we have deter- determined that this media is potentially sensitive and have labeled it accordingly. There will now be a click-through warning message over the media for users whose accounts are set so they are informed before viewing media that may be sensitive, Twitter said in an email to Senate that was reviewed by the Daily Caller News Foundation. The email warned that all of Senna's future tweets could be suppressed in a similar manner if he didn't self-censor in the future. Now, that's very important to uh, point out. Wait, as I don't know, and I'll get to why that's important here in a sec. Twitter has constantly censored pro-lifers who use the platform to raise awareness on behalf of unborn baby. On behalf of unborn babies. The tech giant in February barred pro-life group Human Coalition from advertising three pro-life tweets. And you can see uh, a tweet from Human Coalition here, uh, which reads, Intentionally killing a human being contradicts the Hippocratic Oath. Now, for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, you cannot see... uh, the article obviously is on. I'm reading this for the audio listeners. Abortion is the leading cause of death among black Americans and the ultimate form of racism. Yet it is rarely part of the national conversation on racism. That's another tweet. And then a third uh tweet that the the coalition sent out that got censored was there is no moral, social, cultural, or health reason for Planned Parenthood to exist. Hashtag fake healthcare. Hashtag and abortion. Twitter has removed the three human coalition ads. This is going back to the article, ladies and gentlemen. Just three hours after they went up, the the group said, Human Coalition resubmitted the the three ads to Twitter on Monday. They have yet to to be approved. Other pro-life groups have battled similar suppression from Twitter, which did not return the DCNF's request for comment. That's the Daily Caller News Foundation. Pro-life group Live Action crowd fell in 2017 after three after Twitter demanded it delete pro-life images such as feeder such as fetal ultrasounds from its Twitter feed and website before allowing the group to run to run advertisements. Live Action refused the request. Another pro-life group. The Susan B. Anthony list was barred 
in October from running a video advertisement because it used the phrase killing babies to refer to ab abortion. No advertiser is permitted to use the phrase killing babies, Twitter told the group. That same month, Twitter blocked an advertisement by Republican Representative Marsha Blackburn's campaign for Senate in Tennessee. Twitter objected to one line Blackburn set to one line where Blackburn said, I'm 100% pro-life, I fought Planned Parenthood, and we stopped the sale of baby body parts. Thank God. Alright, so Twitter essentially uh, censored uh, Representative Blackburn for saying that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the tech giant demanded that Blackburn re remove the reference to Planned Parenthood selling baby parts, but she refused and went on the offensive instead, demanding Twitter apologize for censoring her. Twitter reversed course after the ensuing backlash and allowed Blackburn to run the ads. Blackburn's experience suggests conservative might, with enough pressure, be able to shame Twitter into softening its censorship of pro-life messages. And that's the end of the that's the end of the article, folks. So, why is this important? Because censorship is a big, big problem among the major internet platforms, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not getting any better. Okay, what what Senator Blackburn said, in my mind, it, it may be controversial, but it's certainly not offensive in terms of languaging. She is simply stating her, her belief that abortion is the murder of unborn children, a view which I hold um, as well. But let's just say for the sake of argument that your pro-life individual or no, excuse me, that you're that you're a pro-life individual and that I'm a pro-choice individual, okay? Or vice versa. Senator B Senator Blackburn was not saying anything vulgar like uh, "fuck Planned Parenthood." She wasn't making all calls to action. To say, uh, you know, kill Planned Parenthood workers or anything violent or extreme in that nature, ladies and gentlemen. Yet because she suddenly ran on the platform of the fact that she's a pro-life candidate, Twitter has continued to censor her. And this isn't the only instance that we've seen of this, right? Twitter censored uh, Milo Yiannopoulos a year and a half ago now for simply writing a uh, negative critique of the Ghost Rider of the uh, not the Ghost Rider movie, the Ghostbusters movie, the 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 horrible feminist uh, SJW remake, which, uh, you know, didn't do real well and uh, tanked at the box office, speaking of movies. He wrote a negative uh, press re review of that movie. Um, called out Leslie Jones specifically for her role in that. She attacked him, called him some nasty names, he did uh, retaliate in typical Milo fashion and call her a name, but he never threatened her. 
her followers threatened him, and yet he was the one who received a permanent permanent ban uh, from Twitter. Uh, I guess earlier this week, from what I've heard, Alex Jones uh, received two strikes on his account. He received a third strike, um, and then it, it immediately got rescinded, but had that third strike stayed in place, he would have been banned permanently from YouTube, where he has something like over 2 million subscribers. Now, even for me, ladies and gentlemen, even for a small-time independent podcaster like myself, Facebook might not... Facebook and YouTube might not consider me a an actual an existential threat to them in the same way that they see someone like Alex Jones or uh, Paul Joseph Watson. But recently, they've basically made um, changes to their uh, monetization program. Where basically any subscriber under a thousand viewers, or any, no, I'm sorry, any YouTube channel under uh, a thousand subscribers is not eligible for, mon- for monetization. Okay? And we're not just talking political YouTube channels, we're talking YouTube channels across the board. Okay, now say I'm a, say I'm a new YouTube channel. Or say I'm a YouTube channel that uh, does not have a thousand subscribers, which I do not on this channel. There's really no incentive for me to keep putting up YouTube videos or for me to keep putting up content if the uh, barrier to entry for YouTube monetization has been set at a thousand followers, okay? For some people, that's no brainer to reach, but for a lot of people, even getting a, even getting 500 subscribers initially in this, uh, climate of viral videos has to, I mean, it takes work. It takes a lot of work. And so the barrier to entry to even get paid now has been set, uh, just that much higher. It would be one thing if they paid uh, maybe YouTube channels a lower monetization wage, but no, they've started uh, stripping uh, YouTube monetization altogether. And that is a shame. Furthermore, they've, uh, they've start, YouTube has started censoring Prague University. And, uh, Prager University has actually entered into a lawsuit with YouTube over this, uh, fact that their videos are being censored. And as a result, uh, Senator Ted Cruz has started an investigation into this on Capitol Hill. And last month, there was a hearing in which Senator Cruz, um, asked representatives from Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Google about this. And I want to play for you a a clip of the testimony of these three representatives and the way Ted Cruz uh, questioned them, because I think it's rather brilliant, if I do do say so myself. Uh, Clip number three... Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Welcome to each of the witnesses. Um, I'd like to start by asking each of the company representatives a, a simple question, which is, do you consider your companies to be neutral public fora? Ms. Becker? Thank you, Senator. The mission of our company is to connect people. We do not 
look at ideology or politics. We want people to be able to connect and share who they are. So I'm just looking for a, a yes or no, whether you consider yourself to be a neutral public forum. We do not have any policies about political ideology that affect our platform. Ms. Downs? Yes, our goal is to design products for everyone, subject to our policies and the limitations they impose on the types of content that people may share on our products. So you're saying... Now, the testimony that Ms. Downs uh, just put up, and I, I believe Downs is the uh, representative from Facebook, notice that she said that they do not uh, impose political ideology, but that it depends on the, the material based on their uh, terms of service, which can be a bit dicey, and I'll explain why that is in a sec. Well, let me focus for a minute, Mr. Manche. As you know, there have been yourself to be a neutral public forum. We do not have any policies about political ideology that affect our platform. Ms. Downs? Yes, our goal is to design products for everyone, subject to our policies and the limitations they impose on the types of content that people may share on our products. So you're saying you do consider YouTube to be a neutral public forum? Correct. We enforce our policies in a politically neutral way. Certain things are prohibited by our community guidelines, which are spelled out and provided publicly to all of our users. Mr. Manche? Yes, sir. Well, let me, let me focus for a minute, Mr. Manche. As, as you know, there have been... Uh... Now, just to clarify, folks, uh, Mr. Manje is the, is the representative from Twitter. And what you're about to see Cruz do is refer to a series of instances where Twitter uh, censored conservative and conservatives. And for those of you watching this on the Facebook video or on the YouTube archives, if this even makes it to YouTube, um, you will see how squirmy uh, the Twitter representative gets here. And uh, it's pretty interesting to watch. Several videos that were released in recent weeks that, that I and a lot of other people find highly troubling. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond to them. Uh, one individual, uh, Abneoff Vad Vadrevu, uh, described as a former Twitter software engineer, uh, was captured on video saying the following, quote, One strategy is to shadow ban, so you have ultimate control. The idea of a shadow ban is that you ban someone, but they don't know they've been banned because they keep posting and no one sees their content. So they just think that no one is engaging with their content when in reality, no one is seeing it. Uh, is that a practice uh, that, that occurs at Twitter? No, sir, we do not shadow ban um, users. Now, why, why would this, this individual described as a former Twitter software engineer say that? Thank you for the opportunity to respond, Senator, about this. Uh, these folks were caught on video. They weren't speaking on behalf of the company. They were speaking in their personal uh, capacity. Uh, we do not shadow ban uh, folks. What we do do. Okay, how were these engineers not speaking on behalf of the company? They were Twitter employees at the time, right? So how were they not speaking on behalf of Twitter? This makes no sense, and, uh, you know, Manje does really, honestly, he, he does a bad job of, uh, of, you know, failing, of clarifying that fact, in my opinion. And in this clip, uh, Cruz never gets on him specifically about that, but in other videos I have seen of the testimony, uh, which I can't play here yet on the show, uh, you will notice that Manje, the representative, the representative from Twitter, is unable, in all honesty, to uh, talk about the the undercover cover videos that Project Veritas filmed. Uh, is if uh, an account is spammy, 
uh, meaning uh, engaging in malicious automation, we will hide, uh, make it harder for them to find, to be found on our platform. Uh, if, I, if I could continue, sir. That was one of the reasons why uh, the efforts that we saw with the Russian mis misinformation didn't hit as big a mark as they were hoping for. We were able to stop so, that in real time. Uh, another the other individual, thing, sir. Another oh, individual uh, named Mo Narai, uh, Twitter content review agent, was quoted on video as saying, on stuff like that, it was more discretion on your viewpoint. I guess how you felt about a particular matter. Yeah, if they said this is, quote, pro-Trump, I don't want it because it offends me, this, that. And I say I ban the whole thing. And it goes over here, and they are like, oh, you know what? I don't like it, too. You know what? Mo's right. Let's go. Let's carry on. What's next? Uh, is that individual describing a practice that occurs at Twitter? No, sir. Uh, we uh, we use uh, algorithms as a way to, if we see an account that is being abusive, uh, that also will be downranked. Uh, if they are engaging in targeted abuse against uh, minorities, if they are being, uh, if 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 they are consistently violating our. Okay. In, in the case of Milo Yiannopoulos, though, I'm sorry, but Leslie Jones. Although she may be African-American, she is certainly not a minority. She's a celebrity and she's a public figure, a well-known public figure at that. And so therefore trying to uh, hide behind the uh, excuse of minority status when in fact you're a celebrity is malarkey in all honesty. And yet, uh, Mr. Manje of Twitter here is basically trying to mention the fact that, um, that Twitter downgrades the accounts that are, uh, actively targeting minorities. service, but they haven't crossed the line into being suspended, uh, we'll make it less visible. But what we won't do is make uh, your followers, we'll always be able to see you, uh, and uh, we are not, uh, we, we ensure that if you go on, on Twitter at any moment, Wait, you can I see, make you can sure see arguments on all sides. Of the I want to make sure I'm understanding you right. You're saying for some people who are posting, you will restrict viewership only to those who are actively following them? If 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 we believe that they're uh, engaged in malicious automation, if we believe uh, that they're violating our terms of service when it comes to abuse. So is it your position that the individuals that are subject to this form of censorship are extremist or fringe? Is, is, is that, 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 that what you're telling us? Uh, it depends on on uh, on on the user. I, I can tell you that that this is not something that we hide from the public. This is out in the open. The, the fact that we will reduce the visibility of tweets that are abusive or that uh, are engaged in malicious automation. Well, let me ask: What about uh, Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn? Uh, is she someone you would consider somehow abusive or fringe or otherwise? No, sir. Uh, well, that, then why did Twitter? restrict and censor her announcement video announcing as a candidate for United States Senate? I want to be very clear about that, sir, and, and thank you for the question, uh, is that we never removed her tweet. Uh, and um, what she did do is advertise on our platform. We do, like many um, uh, platforms, have a higher standard when it comes to our advertising because we are putting in front of people things they didn't ask to see. Her uh, video was reported to us. Uh, there was a decision that was made that was later re reversed because of the similar language uh, that was used in her, in her account. It was a mistake, and we acknowledged it. So her announcement was, was censored because it was pro-life content. It, has Twitter ever censored anyone for pro-choice content? She was never censored. So you're saying nothing happened to her, to her tweet? Her tweet got a lot of attention uh, on the organic side. Um, we we action our accounts, uh, we act, and we we take our, our terms of service very seriously. Sometimes we make the wrong decision. We have action on all sides on all sides of issues, um, and and we strive to be better every day. And let me ask a final question because my time has expired, Ms. Downs. I, I'd like to know what what is YouTube's policy with respect to, to Prager University and the allegations that the content Prager University is putting out 
are being restricted and censored by YouTube? As I mentioned, we enforce our policies in a politically neutral way. In terms of the specifics of Prager University, it's a subject of ongoing litigation, so I'm not free to comment on the specifics of that case. Well, I will say the pattern of political censorship that we are seeing across the technology companies is highly concerning. And the opening question I asked you of whether you're a neutral public forum, if you are a neutral public forum, that does not allow for political editorializing and censorship. And if you're not a neutral public forum, the entire predicate for liability immunity under the CDA is claiming to be a neutral public forum. So, so you can't have it both ways. Thank you. And Cruz hit the nail on the head right there with that remark at the end. Right now, um, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are all claiming to be neutral platforms uh, under this under the CDA, which basically means in two uh, in two ways that they are under a different uh, tax classification for the RS as a business, and from what I understand, that also makes it more difficult for them to be sued for discrimination um, based on uh, practice. Because right, right now, if I were to sue Facebook, Google, or Twitter for censoring my, my content, it would be very hard for me to argue that they were doing so because they're classified as a uh, neutral publishing platform as opposed to uh, like an editorial news or opinion website. Okay, so that's the crux of the matter uh, there. And folks, we are uh, just about out of time for uh, tonight's program. So I want to thank you for listening. We'll be back on Saturday evening, I believe, and hopefully we will have a guest. Then I may have a guest on Thursday as well, but for uh, right now, Saturday is a for sure thing. So folks, I want to uh, thank you for watching slash listening to the program and for putting up with me for an hour. I want to thank you very much. As always, you can go to thesamwhitfield.com for more uh, content from me. Follow me on Twitter at, at samdebrun underscore and you see hashtag Whitfield Report. And thank you for uh, watching, ladies and gentlemen. I'll see you uh, later this week on the next episode of the Whitfield Report. Thank you very much and have a good evening.